Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Simply Technical. Uh, one of your hosts, Evan, joined again with Keaton here as another host. Hey. We don't have a guest this time. Um, hopefully, I look a little bit better. I was basically dying, um, not to be dramatic. I just had the stomach bug, which I guess was going around. Um, I don't know if anybody else got sick from our party, but... Um, but yeah, we're back. I have to do a lot of editing on that one to make sure that I don't look like I'm going to die. I don't even think I said a thousand words on the podcast. It was like an hour long. So Uh, (laughs) um, anyways, we kind of want to start off talking about education. Um, Yeah. And Keen, are we going to talk about kind of federally or just local like Oklahoma or in general? I think in general, that's kind of kind of my ideas. And we can also hit like federally, but but. What is what is wrong with education? What's good with education? And how do you make it better? Anyway, I I won't say I'm any kind of expert on this at all, but I do think I'm good at learning. So at least that portion, uh, I think I have down. So, and I've always been interested in how how do we make these sort of things uh, more effective? Yeah. Well. I- as I saw a video of Matt Walsh, he says I can read, so and I know how to look at a study, so <laughs> <laughs> then you know how to learn. I'm... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, well, I know here in Oklahoma we're ranked what like 49th, and then 47th in like spending. I think I looked that up before the episode. Uh, 49th and then 47th in spending. So, um, I guess money doesn't always equal you're smart. Um. But yeah, I mean, let's start off with the bad because we all like to talk about what's bad with everything. Yeah. Um, the I would say the education is not great uh, in the U.S. But I mean, obviously, we have room for improvement with with anything that we do. Um, one of the hot topics here in Oklahoma has been school choice. I guess federally too, right? Trump kind of talked about that with Betsy when he was in power, I think a little bit. Yeah. Um, of like school choice. And so like school choice is basically you can, the money you pay in taxes will get given back to you. And then you can use that to spend on public school or private school. Depending mm-hmm. is that I'm getting that kind of right. I think so. I don't know a whole lot about school choice and all that, all that jazz because um, I don't know how much of a difference it actually makes in educational outcomes. And I think that research is really raw um, but in general, I'm pretty for, you know, letting parents have more of a say in their kids' education. Well, why have we not allowed, and like I so said, you, you might not know this exactly, but up for discussion of like, why are people not allowed to travel schools anyways? Like, I know you can transfer, but it like has to get approved and stuff, right? I'm, um, I'm not sure. I think it has a lot to do with the tax bases and, and, you know, if you're paying tax or if some, you know, next door, which is a different district has a higher tax income and they get a better school than you, then everyone on that border is going to end up sending, trying to send their kid to that school. And I think that just overwhelms the per student spending uh, because it's not like they're paying the tax on, um, the to go to that school, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and so I guess that's kind of an issue that has been a problem for a while. Is well, the nice neighborhoods, you know, owned by rich people, they pay a lot more in property tax, and you know, maybe usually have a lot, a lot more land, so they have less students that go to the school. So you know, they get more, they get one more funding, and then two, they have less students because people mm-hmm. have more land. So then your school is just like tons better, um, at least based on class size and on like just spending. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Actually, I kind of want to set the stage a little bit differently. I think so. I mean, uh, uh, recently, it seems like education has become like the hottest topic in politics. uh, It's become like this massive battleground. And a lot of people uh, talk about like, the whole like critical race theory thing. And I actually think a lot of this is like some uh, built up um, 
frustration on actual educational outcomes that's released in a different way that we don't really understand if that makes sense. So what we're actually what we're actually upset with is the educational system, but these people have sort of latched onto this political issue and now everyone is uh, attacking the the system at large. And so I think I think uh, that's kind of why it's been such a hot hot topic recently and I why I've been so interested in what actually makes a what actually makes a kid a good learner and what makes a what makes an effective education and I don't really think the type of system that we have is going to work is is definitely not ideal for a student that like excels in uh, in anything it's kind of built for the median student which is great like before we had systems that were biased to, you know, uh, at rich kids who are able to afford better tutors, better schooling, one-on-one education, and then we we made it sort of started the public school system, which, uh, you know, raised the bottom half up. So, but I think, which is great, but I think when you anything produced at mass scale tends to uh, not be ideal on the positive tails or pot the the you know the edge case positive outcome so the what we what i would call the einsteins of the world are lost in the sort of uh regress to the mean in the sort of mass-produced educational system that we have now and so i don't really know um so i guess i guess what i most wanted to do to discuss at first was how do we how does this how do we fix this and and can we fix this um yeah do you have any kind of like comment on well comment on that i'll go to like critical race theory um a little bit mm-hmm. not necessarily the in-depth of what it is but i think that politicians have made it more about race because everyone has an opinion on race um or can't have an opinion on race but not necessarily everybody has an opinion on schools and so to get people more involved, maybe they uh, are adding the race into this side of things. I don't know if that's true or not. That's kind of like my high level, like, well, how do we get people to care about the issue? Well, let's make it a race thing. Um, yeah, I mean, kind of seems like it. Um, so that's kind of my thought on that. As far as like the rest of your points, I, I don't really have anything right now. I might think of something. Um yeah, so I'll, I'll kind of yeah. see it off then. Uh, so educational research basically shows many or many different things that you would find counterintuitive from either side of the political spectrum is uh, you'll find that that actually school choice, well, or not school choice, because I don't necessarily know if it's studying exactly that, but moving like a lottery system where, you know, kids in inner city Chicago or New York City get into better schools doesn't actually improve educational outcomes. Um, um, uh, generally, m- moving to a richer school is not going to improve your improve outcomes. This has been shown time and time again. There's only one thing that has consistently been shown to improve educational outcomes, and that's one-on-one tutoring. And that's uh, call, sort of called Bloom's Two Sigma uh, theory. And, and debate is, I think it's theory. I don't know if it's it's set in stone, but essentially these kids who are tutored perform two standard deviations above the average, above the mean. And that's incredible. Um, and, but the problem is, of course, you can't replicate that at scale. How do you, kids can't have one-on-one tutoring at scale. And, uh, the only kids who generally do get one-on-one tutoring are, uh, rich, well-off kids. And I think, you know, recently there's been a huge movement to homeschool again, and and a lot of that has been with the sort of face, the political, the political face of, well, they don't like the critical theory stuff being taught in schools, which is not, I don't think that really happens at scale. I think that happens, definitely happens in some schools, but I don't think that happens at a, a really high scale. And so kids or parents have been pulling their kids out of school schools for this reason, I actually think that this would, will improve kids' educational outcome because parents that are, that are super involved, 
uh, with their into their or are involved with their child's education and actually care about uh, learning and understanding these topics. Uh, I think that that's to me. It's this isn't this isn't like known science or fact or anything. I'm kind of just guessing off the top of my head. But to me, the most important uh, factor in your kid's education is you is is if you're a parent it's 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 how how much do you care about education are you are you actually a lifelong learner if 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 you're not learning then why why would they be interested in learning i think the most important uh, thing to uh inspiring children is to show that actually learning and understanding and seeking new topics is an extremely uh a valuable part of life and is actually extremely exciting and and I think that today's school system sort of uh, sucks the life out of out of learning because it's so rote. It's so uh, you don't. Uh, I actually I wrote an article on this recently. It's my own one of two only things that I've ever published out, uh, and it's essentially about like why in the time of the internet you have access to unlimited knowledge. Why do we seem to not have as many autodidacts like self learners, self teachers? when you have the unlimited ability to self-teach, it seems like we've completely, it seems like hardly anyone takes advantage of that. And I think it's because school, the way that the system is set up takes out the love of learning. And it's very obvious when you think about it is you have kids who are excited, curious. I mean, what, I, I guess you don't have any younger siblings, but I, I'm the oldest of six. So I've been around, I mean, I don't have any kids myself, but I've been around, little kids and all my life. And they, the most obvious thing is, I mean, it's, it's basically a stereotype slash meme of kid, kids is to ask why, well, why? Oh, oh, you have a computer and you're on a podcast. Well, why? And you say, Oh, I'm on a podcast. Cause I just want to, you know, get my conversation out there. Well, why, why it's, it's why is like the most common question. And that why shows like this innate curiosity. And I think we destroy that over time because because you have kids sitting in a school this classroom for six to eight hours a day when realistically they only need about two hours to me to learn everything that they do. It's, it's just, it's filler because both parents are working and that's we, that this, the whole system is literally set up in a way that that parents can drop their kids off, go to work, come back from work, pick their kids up. And it just, I think it completely degrades, degrades the, excitement and uh, love of learning for uh, the vast majority of kids and and why if you went to school for eight hours a day why are you going to go home and watch a video on uh, the beauty of calculus or something or or how uh, how plants how photosynthesis works how, how are your plants staying alive you know things that are incredibly interesting but not something that you're going to want to do after, you know, learning for six or eight hours a day. Yeah. Well, I, I guess you said there's no real data on like parents caring. I don't even know if mm -hmm. you can do studies on that super <laughs> easily, but I mean, I remember like thinking back to, I'm thinking back to my high school days and the parents, you could, I mean, just in the classroom, you could just tell the parents cared more. The, mm -hmm. the students were engaged. The students were in AP classes or honors classes, um, uh, you know, the advanced. And I mean, I knew as a kid, my parents were flat out. We are going to every single parent teacher conference. <laughs> so you mm -hmm. need to be on your behavior, best behavior. And if your grades are starting to slip, like we're going to have, you know, we're going to have issues. We're going to, you know, start taking in, you know, punishments of being grounded and, you know, that kind of stuff. So that was instilled very young of like my parents, like getting online, checking my grades, making sure I'm, you know, keeping up on it, going to every single parent teacher conference. Um, and so I think if you have more of that, that's like, cause that just shows that it's an emphasis from your parents. I mean, we're sponges when it comes to learning, um, but we're especially sponges when it comes to our parents because mm -hmm. we mirror i mean we pretty much mirror our parents if you show me your parents i can pretty much show you what you're going to be doing uh, with your life uh in you know 5 10 15 years um 
and education is very much tied to your uh, your criminal record. Um, I know that there there used to be a saying that got debunked that was like, oh, the United States uses the stats from reading. I think it's third grade that the government uses stats from third grade reading to determine how many jail cells they'll need. I'm pretty sure that was disproven. Um, but I, I think it still has meaning in the fact of like, if you can't do fundamentals, then you're more likely going to turn to crime. I mean, I don't know. And that's what that's, I might be way off base, but that's kind of what I've. No, I believe heard. that. But I also wonder if, uh, if that's, you know, s- sort of, um, the other way, or like it could also be the other way around. You know, you're if you're more likely in the future to commit crime, maybe you do, you're just less likely to be someone who ever tries in, school. in, in yeah. school. And the the crazy thing about educational outcomes is is if you look at like at the hierarchy of who does well at the end of high school uh, versus who does poorly, you can almost essentially predict it with a hundred percent accuracy after the first year of grade school the kids who do well who are the best at the beginning of that of of school are going to uh, be at the top of the bunch when they graduate they're going to be the ones who end up taking getting the higher paying positions after college and grad school or whatever they end up doing and the kids who do poorly at the beginning are going to stay poor doers and I, I think that is just 100% indicative of of uh, the importance of parental involvement because where are they, where else are they at before school? They're they're home, uh, learning by osmosis, like you said, the mimicry and uh, uh, parental uh, yeah, just mimicking, mirroring your your parents. So. I, I just wonder is how how do you fix that uh, that problem? Uh, it's it's just so much more than than uh, uh, you know people saying you have to have school choice versus you have to pay teachers more versus you need smaller class sizes, and all three of those things probably good, are good things. But I think that they're incremental uh, incremental advances on a problem that requires much more than than an incremental. Uh, change and unfortunately i think uh i don't think we're well equipped to deal with it i i i don't even i i don't know how how things are going to change with the way they they currently are well i will say (laughs) if everyone gets their tax check back i guess or tax benefit i'm sure private school will go up in price um (laughs) So anytime the government gets involved in anything, it becomes a lot more expensive. Um, But I also don't think it's just as simple as as having a two-parent household. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, that will help. But I think that your house needs to be in order, not just like have the parents there. Now, typically, if you have two parents, I guess your house is going to be a little bit more order. Mm -hmm. But... um, I know that like divorce obviously is tough on kids and that's, you know, tough on their education. Um, you know, any type of like abuse that's in the home, that's going to affect your education as a kid. I mean, that affects obviously your entire life. Um, but a lot of that stems from education. Um, you know, if you can't focus on school because things at home, I know those are very heavy things, but, um, if you can't focus on things, if you're focusing on things at home, like, is my mom okay? Or is my dad okay? Like, you're not as focused on school. Um, so yeah, I think those, it's not just like, oh, well, we just need two parents in the household. Like that doesn't, I don't think that fixes it. I mean, if you have, mm-hmm. um, yeah, if you, like I said, and what were the things you listed that you said would be incremental? You said school choice, school choice, paying school choice on the right wing side, you know, paying teachers way more on the left wing side, uh, making classroom sizes smaller, by, you know, I mean, I actually do think making classroom sizes dramatically smaller would improve, but it's impossible to do <laughs> uh, um, 
Well, like when I, I say dramatically smaller, I mean like five kids to yeah, one teacher, less than ten or something, or less than yes. twelve. Yeah. Yes. Um, I think that school choice and smaller classroom sizes. I guess those three. I would agree that they're incremental, but I think they widen the gap between your smart kids and your average kids. Um, because I think to your point that you made a, a early on in the episode that we kind of go to the common denominator, we like the smart the kids, we aggress. Yeah. Um, so by school choice, if you can, if the kids that their parents care a lot more and they want to get them in a good school, not necessarily the closest or, they want to get them to a private school. I think that just separates the gap more between your smart kids and your bell curve, I guess. Um, which I guess would be incremental progress to kind of what you were saying. Yeah, I guess. I, I mean, I, I believe that that probably be the case. I mean, what they always that like cliche of you're the average of your five people you spend the most time with. You're when you're a kid, if you're spending time with a bunch of geniuses, you're probably going to end up being a genius. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And maybe that's why my parents always forced me to be <laughs> friends with uh, right. like kids from church and um, be friends like, with all the nerds. Yeah. Like, oh, be good friends <laughs> with the nerds. <laughs> and I made them more social, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Looking at Oklahoma's like budget for this year. 30 billion dollars that seems like a lot i don't know how much that is per kid but oh i don't know i don't know how many kids there are (laughs) there's more than 100 i can guarantee that (laughs) (laughs) um yeah what are your thoughts on the like i guess if you increase budget the 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 left-wing side you were saying like increasing budget and increasing teacher pay Mm-hmm. You, you say that's pretty incremental or yeah i think it's incremental i think you'll see improvements but you're not going to see massive gains um that's my opinion uh and i don't necessarily think that we shouldn't do those things i think that i do i do think that teachers are some of the most valuable uh, occupation in society and so and i think a way to get better teachers in is to pay them more so you know uh, people who are less inclined to go to teaching because of the pay and end up going to med school or something. Maybe they uh, switch back, but uh, I still just think it's like an incremental gain for uh, something that would be incredibly expensive. Well, maybe we need to do a better job of training teachers. Um, And this is just out of left field, but if you pay, like say Oklahoma is like, Hey, we're going to give teachers a raise. Mm-hmm. Okay, you might get teachers. It's just like a raise for any other job. You get an incremental change, like a, you know, a little bit more oomph in your step. You're like, okay, well, this you know seems a little bit more worth it. But obviously, you get complacent. Um, but I would say if you you know, if Oklahoma pays teachers more, okay, we're going to take teachers from Texas or Arkansas. Or, you know, can't you know, yeah. take teachers from elsewhere. But that doesn't necessarily help overall. That just helps Oklahoma. Um, it's like you're just taking from other school districts mm-hmm. you know it's not like you're getting teachers better overall yeah you know if teachers are at a 75 percent um, of their peak well taking a teacher from another school district doesn't help your percentage go up it only lowers it from another and raises yours if you could get teachers at 80 percent you know or 85 percent you know of their capacity i guess yeah that would be better from a you know analytical side of it yeah yeah and I mean, like I said, like teachers have do one of the hardest like jobs and most I think of, it's most easy. I, jobs. I'll be I'll be. Well, this is what I was going to say is is the they do one of the most important jobs. And but the problem with teachers is I don't think they actually are passionate about learning. I think they're more passionate about, uh, you know, helping kids rather than i don't this is the, the honest truth is i don't think teachers are going home to learn more about their topic of or their subject that they teach every day to stay on top of the field because they're so passionate about that topic or subject 
And I actually think that's one of the most negative aspects. I think to real truly inspire someone to be passionate about learning, you have to be passionate about learning. You have to be the expert in the field. Even if you're teaching algebra one, you should you should be excited about math. You should be someone who does can do calculus. You should probably be all the way up there in linear algebra. You should be excited about the advances in machine learning that are built on linear algebra, these type of things that really get kids excited because you know the application later in life. And I don't think that that's what we generally get with teachers, um, which which is fine. But that's the truth is, that's probably, I mean, I say it now, I could definitely change this in the future just because of time and financial commitments. But right now, if I was to have a kid that was, you know, five years old right now, I would be homeschooling them because I think I can teach them better than the teachers can. And it, because I'm, I'm someone who likes learning. I'm someone who's excited about uh, uh, basically every single topic, at least up to, you know, uh, probably a freshman college level is where I hit my the limits on all domains. I, for science, I could teach them anything. Uh, but for <laughs> for history, English, all that, I'd probably hit freshman freshman college level and peak right, right about there. But I, I, that's my opinion is I think I could teach better uh, and inspire more more uh, excitement about knowledge in, in my own kids. Yeah, I'm going to get canceled for a second that teaching is easy. Um, <laughs> I think in the current state of like showing up, teaching, going home, super easy. Um, yeah, like I said, I'll get canceled for that, but it's fine. The To your point of they don't go home and learn, I think if you lower the amount of time that kids are in school, teachers have like, hey, you're only teaching, you know, because they have two plan periods right now or something like that, mm -hmm. at least here. Um, okay, well, now you're going to have four plan periods. You're only teaching for four hours. Now you need to learn, you know, brush up on stuff, brush up on teaching, um, trainings, you know, or whatever. Um, that kind of stuff. I think that would be extremely beneficial. Mm -hmm. You know, different teaching methods, how to use the equipment that you're given, um, you know, more efficiently, more effectively communicating with parents like trying to get them involved like hey your kids really struggling and I, I know they do that already but you know if you have more time to do that kind of stuff it's less likely for kids to fall behind yeah i agree and um yeah but how do you but in the current situation how do you go because kids are in school like you said for when their parents are working usually yeah know, typically <laughs> um so how do you you can't really fix that just no, you can't. It's the pro it's the whole problem with the whole system. I think to me, an ideal mass-produced education system, and I still think this is not ideal. I think the most I the pinnacle of ideal education is a one-on-one -on -one education with experts in certain do in domains. That's impossible to achieve at scale. And so, so I can just so throw that out. I think at scale, the most ideal situation is to have kids going in for two hours a day and going home, and in really in in. So teachers can keep full-time jobs because obviously we're going to pay them to work two hours a day. You have tiny class sizes. So it's four, it's still an eight hour day, four batches of two hours, four different sets of kids, you know, coming in and out. So essentially you, you cut your class size into fourths. And I think, I mean, that's my opinion is that would, it would improve a lot, but it's just not possible with, the way the economy is set up, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, especially with the amount of teachers we have, because if you're saying that a, a teacher has, what were you saying, about 20 students mm -hmm. total? Is that what you're saying, about 20 total? Well, I think well, I think it's most class sizes are like 30. Yeah, to 30, and then they have, you know, seven classes a day or six classes a day. Yeah. So, you know, they have, uh, you know, over 100 students. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I, I'll say I'm most excited. I'm most passionate about really young education, like elementary, even okay. pre-elementary, because the tr truth is getting on that first, that's that uh, starting on that great trajectory is really predictive for the future outcomes in your life. I think you start hitting to middle school and high school, you're, you're kind of running late, like in the game <laughs> at that point. So right now I'm just going to talk elementary where you have teachers have one class all day uh 
And those kids are in one classroom all day because so many habits and so much uh, excitement and, and love of learning is built in that uh, young, those younger uh, ages. Um, I'll say this. The, the best thing that you can learn when you're a kid, at least in those early early years, is confidence. If you're confident in your answer or in learning, I th- that's super beneficial, like mm-hmm. immensely. They, they say that's one of the biggest indicators of people being good at math is how confident they are in, in math. Like, yeah. oh, you know, what's two plus two? Well, I know that's four. You know, if you're super, you know, not necessarily like answering quickly or answering confidently, but being confident of like, well, I know the answer. You know, I'm not going to be scared to answer that. I know it's it's four. Yeah. Um, I know that math is coming under fire a lot recently with education, but I think that's a big a big deal is confidence. Yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, I will show my own Substack for a second, but this is like the last the last two lines in my post on education, and it's that confidence and love of learning is built when a person finally understands something on their own accord and realizes they no longer have to fear any subject. Knowing that you have the tools available and the ability to teach yourself nearly anything is the most powerful skill you can have. The the ability, the confidence to know that you can teach yourself anything is by far the most important skill you can develop as a kid. And I think we don't, I mean, we, this is something that wasn't really possible until recently, until the advent of the internet. You you really can learn anything now uh, if you spend the time and put the hours in. But unfortunately, we sort of have made every single topic so complexified, or seemingly so complexified, that you you know, I'm, I mean, I guess I'm going to kind of go out of childhood education now and, and more into uh, adults adulthood uh, just just for analogy's sake because it, it fits a little bit better but we we've so so complexified every single skill that we make it feel as though you have to spend four years at college to be able to do anything and if you want to switch and learn something new you all oh, that that barrier at the time yeah you have to no one has the time and and I think that almost that 80 to 90 percent of of the of this is, I guess, it will be field and domain specific, but I think the vast majority of it can be can be learned uh, at least at two to three times the rate that the general public perceives a, a a skill to be learned at. And I think when it comes to kids learning, that's that's also true. Is I think kids could be learning math at a way faster rate, but unfortunately, we regress to the mean, and everyone has to learn at the pace of the the slower students' uh, abilities in the class. And so that ends up killing the desire to learn math because, you know, learning to me is a, is a, like a snowball effect or it should be like a snowball effect. You should be understanding something and then be excited to run to the next thing. And uh, let's just call it math. Let's just say you burn through uh, uh, basic third and fourth grade math that you want to go on further. And sometimes, you know, some there's some programs where you can't go up, up a grade, but a lot of times you can't. And so you you have to wait. And by the time you've you've waited, that excitement is gone and you're not really passionate about it anymore. Or let's say you want to learn something that is way too advanced for the level you're at in fifth grade math. You know, you want to learn something related to uh, let's just call it geometry. Let's say geometry. Well, everyone's gonna say, "Okay, you got to wait four years, man. Like, you you got to learn this and this and this." And I think it's true. Math is one of the more linear learning subjects, but I still think that uh, you, if with excitement and passion, you can go go onto the internet and you can you know at least get a, a decent grasp on any concept that you're excited about. And I think that the way our educational system is set up is we scare people away from ever. Uh, pursuing more difficult uh, tasks. And I actually, I feel like I had this, I hit this in my own uh, education as a kid. Like I was the absolute superstar at math. Uh, my all of elementary, like 
I was very good. I, and everyone talked about, oh, you're going to be math genius. Well, I, as time went on, I was like <clears throat> less excited about, about math. And we get to sixth grade, more excited about, uh, uh, you know, girls and, and being cool and math isn't cool. And unfortunately, you know, <laughs> I, I sort of lost that little math. I, and now I think I'm not, I also think I'm not good at math anymore, but I think if, if I would have been able to, to, you know, in third grade, when I was playing at the level of fifth graders, if I would have been able to keep playing with the low, at the level of fifth graders, I would have still been excited and kept going. And it would have been like something that was like an integral part of my, uh, education. But, uh, I think that uh, uh, being sort of held back and held to the, you know, the standards of everyone around uh, kills excitement in in subjects that kids are perceived or think that kids are good at as as compared to their peers. And every kid is different. They're better at different. We're all better at different things. Unfortunately, we all got to play at the same level generally uh, as the rest of our age group. Well, I'll say I think a Band-Aid to that or kind of a symptom reliever, you know, the Advil or the ibuprofen of <laughs> this symptom or this problem would be splitting kids up more. Um, mm-hmm. That I don't know if that's kind of controversial because, I mean, parents are obviously going to be super upset if they get in like a lower, if their kid's in the lower one. Um, but like... I never really struggled like in middle school and high school. I never struggled with trying to learn more, I guess, Mm -hmm. because I was in the quote unquote in middle school. We called it honors. We didn't have AP and, you know, advanced placement or pre AP in middle school, but we had honors. And so like you had honors classes that were people that met a certain threshold. And then you had just normal classes. Um, And, in high school, it turned into pre-AP and AP, but you had this separation of like, well, this is more advanced. This is, you're going to learn, you know, geometry as an eighth grader instead of a freshman, you know, or that kind of stuff um, or whatever it was. Geometry mm-hmm. as a freshman instead of a sophomore. Um, so I think if you can separate people more, that might be a little bit better because um, you can teach to a different uh, exponential instead of linear, maybe. Yeah, I definitely definitely agree but yeah it's definitely a like super controversial uh topic because that sort of entails uh kids left behind and on top of that kids that are maybe don't quite fit the mold of what we think is a an exceptional learner and i actually i do think that these these kids in the rare uh, i think it's overstated on you know, kids who are not good at school actually being really good at something else. I think it's overstated, but it certainly exists. <laughs> and and I think maybe in that case, we could be leaving behind the few that actually are not good at school, but are secret geniuses. Uh, I mean, Gary Vee is a very good example of that. I don't know if he's necessarily a genius, but yeah. he definitely breaks the mold of like his parents, like his parents were very involved with him. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't know who Gary v, Gary V is, Gary Vaynerchuk, look him up. Super, I, I would say he's super smart. He's very uh, um, black and white, I guess. People love him or hate him, but anyways, he wasn't about a race. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, no, no. Um, I don't know what the term is. It's like, yeah, no, no, it makes sense. Him, it makes but, sense. Yeah, um, I think there's a specific term for that. But anyways, Gary V, uh, he hated school. And he knew he hated school. And all his teachers said, you're not going to amount to anything unless you try harder. Da, da, da. He didn't care about school. His parents were super involved with him. They were like, hey, you need to do better in school. Like, try harder at this. And he was like, you know, I really don't care. But I'm super good at, you know, I, I forgot exactly what he said he was super good at. But ended up turning into, like, business. I mean, he's a super successful entrepreneur. He turned his dad's wine business um from you know a couple million dollar to you know multi millions you know like you know 50 million dollar um now granted he had good timing with the internet but still uh, was able to turn turn this but he, he sucked at school and he knew he sucked at school he hated it 
So, I mean, there is obviously edge cases, and I don't necessarily know how you deal with that, but there is also the other side of it of somebody like me, I was in between. There was some, like, math. I'm actually really good at math. I'm an engineer, <laughs> but I didn't get into seventh grade honors. Um, I wasn't, I guess, good at math then. I don't know. They... And it could have, I could have easily gotten quote unquote left behind or not reached my potential, but I knew I, my, I wanted to be an engineer. I wanted to go to this pre-engineering school, uh, Votech or, uh, career tech is what they like to call it. And I wanted to go there. So what I do, I doubled off my math in high school. So I took algebra two and geometry at the same time so that I could speed up and catch up to the other people. So I think it does a lot to do with drive. I mean, there's options out there. So, yeah, yeah. I guess it is hard just to, I mean, how, how do you instill drive is like the ultimate question. And, and I mean, I, I don't know. Cause, cause I was super driven in elementary school, lost that drive all the way through high school, did terrible freshman year of college and then sort of regained it around. I mean, I didn't, I honestly, like I was, did a lot better at the end of college or the last three years of college than the first year, but, but, uh, didn't really regain this sort of drive until after college to just there's something about not being forced to learn uh, and just learning on whatever you want that made it that made it so easy for me to learn basically uh, any topic like teaching myself to code teaching myself uh, machine learning right now I'm going back through math you know catching up on the old uh, uh, my math days and uh, trying to finished learning calculus, but stuff that I never cared about before. It's just a, something weird about having freedom to go in, in all sorts of order. And, and I just wonder how, how do you make kids ex, excited in that way? Uh, is the ultimate the million dollar question. Well, something that drives me a lot is social embarrassment. <laughs> um, <laughs> How embarrassing would it be? You're uh, good at you know school in high school. You go to college and you drop out. You wasted all those potential. You know, like what are people going to say? I think that that drives a lot of of it. Mm-hmm. Um, like my financial literacy uh, wasn't all that great, and then I got a house. Uh, obviously, it was good enough to get a house, but. Well, how embarrassing is it going to be if I have to foreclose on my house? Like, okay, well, I better save. Like, better learn that. Yeah. yeah, better learn how to save or better, you yeah. Know. Uh, so I think this is another hot take that's going to get me canceled is I think bullying in some instances is okay. Uh, <laughs> and when I mean bullying is like your peers, like pushing you to, to do better. Um not necessarily like yeah. you're, ugly, you're ugly, but like you can't like you don't. That's that's not okay. But like, no, you, it's like you idiot. Yeah, how'd you yeah, fail that test? Exactly. <laughs> like, okay, well, my friend just called me an idiot. Like, I better, <laughs> that's embarrassing. I better study yeah. harder for the next one. I don't want to drop out. Like, that's it's what I mean. Skin in the game for your mental skin in the game, sort of. Yeah, like I said, bullying not really okay, but uh, the way that I phrased it there, we phrased it, I think is is very valid. Um, and if you see that as a, my friends are pushing me to do better, um, that's, that's a lot better than that kind of, you know, than mm-hmm. actually bullying somebody on like their parent, you know, whatever else it is. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I, I also, I guess we're kind of nearing a little bit to the end. So I, I would say maybe that's something on the horizon that really could improve educational outcomes by quite a bit and sort of get a, a fraction of this one-on-one tutoring that's been shown to be so effective uh, for education for every and making this more available at scale is the AI assistance and being able at all kids being able to ask whatever the heck they want to the AI and well, obviously that could go wrong, but, <laughs> but uh, if reason, you, know, yeah. you have it tuned to a, a, as a sort of tutor, let's just call it the, the Einstein AI, like, okay, you want to learn anything about math, physics, 
uh, you want to go all the way up to space time and general relativity. Well, you can ask her the Einstein AI. Oh, oh you want to learn about, uh, I don't know, who's a... Khan Academy. Some, yeah, you have Khan Academy. So it's like some great historian. Oh, you want to learn about history? Well, let's talk to the Aristotle AI or, or philosophy, sorry. Uh, let's talk to Aristotle AI or Plato AI. And, and uh, you have access to these sort of... Uh, Fictitional. Yeah. Yes, yes. That can be incredibly accurate. I mean, and ChatGPT is already great for me for me to just ask random questions it's incredible for programming you learning uh, learning to program alongside chat gpt is probably the first major use case but i could see math becoming the next big thing and and of course this could be completely botched by kids just cheating and uh you know asking how do i do this problem and getting the answer so i think you have to have these whatever the apps are tuned to not give the answer, but to explain the process and uh, maybe eventually crack after a long time <laughs> if the kid can't get it. And, and uh, yeah, I think maybe that could hold some promise in the future for getting the sort of one-on-one -on -one tutoring at scale and really assisting teachers to more focus on, you know, kids who are maybe struggling a little bit more and focus on the behavior in their classrooms and less on, you know, all the menial work at, as a teacher. I don't really know what teachers have to deal with day to day. I've heard plenty of, plenty of horror stories of kids' behavior. It seems like kids' behavior is more important than teaching because so many kids are so disruptive, ruining, ruining things for other kids. So, uh, yeah, that's, something I am excited about in the future, the near future, hopefully. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, what, let's do like a little summary of what we kind of talked about so far. What's kind of your summary on how to fix education? Okay. So really fast. One-on-one uh, -on -one tutoring has been shown to be the, the greatest uh, predictor of educational outcomes. How do we get... Why, why is education so bad? Well, because we don't inspire kids to learn. I think teachers uh, tend to be more focused on behavioral issues in the classroom rather than uh, the love of learning. And I think that sort of kids mimic and see that and the, ex the extremely long hours of school degrade the educational process and the excitement of learning. And I think that the when it comes to inspiring kids to learn more, we need to ourselves as adults and as teachers or as parents to be excited about learning and understanding. And uh, I mean, knowledge and greater understanding of the world is one of the, the uh, most incredible, beautiful things about life to me is, is you sort of understand how things work. And uh, with history, you get to learn more about you history is you humanity science you get to learn more about the world how think how your body works how cells are working math you get to sort of understand the language of what i call the language of god how the universe uh the laws that the universe abides by uh things that are made super boring in school but are actually really fascinating and exciting when you have the right person to explain them to you okay Mine is going to be super quick. I say split up kids more based on their acceleration of learning. And then two, parents to care more and to be giving confidence and um, more boosting mentality towards their kids' learning. Because I think, like, a lot of parents will be involved with their kids with things that are outside of school of like, Hey, you're really nice to that person. Good job. You know, praise that, praise that, praise that. But they're not necessarily super praiseworthy of, or praising of school accomplishments. Mm -hmm. um, I think that instills so much confidence and keys in on, Hey, this is important. My parents are complimenting me on this. Let's focus on that. We can get more compliments if we continue. So yeah. I don't know. My parents were always super complimentary of school accomplishments, of being polite, you know, and those are things that 
I'm that are instilled in me that I carry on with. So. Yeah, I would say so. On that note, that reminds me of something I completely forgot to miss is how much of our uh, uh, excitement and belief in ourselves and confidence in our ability to learn is built by our parents or the teacher saying, wow, you're actually really good at math. And then you be, that's like your becomes your identity. You're like, oh, I'm good at math. And then you learn math because you know you're good at math. But I think it works w- 10 times worse in the opposite direction. It's like the self-labeling of, oh, I did really bad on math in first grade. I'm bad at math. And then that's your whole identity for the rest of your life. And you're always going to be bad at math because you – you know, you think you're bad at math, so why would you care to really try at math? Uh, I think that that what you just said is like so important. I can't believe I completely forgot to even talk Mention about it. it. Yeah, was, yeah. That's okay. <laughs> uh, I brought it up because I knew you were thinking it. Um, yeah, I mean, getting compliments, and I don't know if that's just a me thing or a guy thing, or maybe it's in general. I don't know. But like getting compliments, everyone. <laughs> getting compliments on things that you're good at or things you've improved on. Mm-hmm you've improved on I think is vital as well that gets you to catch up on things like oh I'm not a math person well little Susie good job you you know you didn't get it this time but hey the second go around we you know you improved and you know we got there oh mm-hmm. okay well maybe I am you know maybe math is not such a bad thing you start to gain that confidence and it starts to as you said snowball and steamroll into well now I'm a math person you know in second grade yeah. I wasn't a math person but <laughs> in sixth grade Hey, I'm killing now, the free yeah. algebra. Yeah. Yeah. It's so weird how like fragile our our egos and future really are uh when we're kids. Like I, I can actually remember, I mean, this is sad example, I guess, but good and perfect perfectly reflective of this. I was uh uh, uh known as a good uh, presenter in class, and then one day I was also like really in, good student. I was overly perfect. If I did anything wrong, I was devastated. One day I forgot about a presentation, which made me extremely nervous, got up there, super nervous, was made fun of for like probably a day. And for the, for ever since then, it's gotten a lot better now, but still not perfect. But after that, I was a terrible presenter forever because I labeled myself as a bad presenter. And it was always in my head every time I presented, oh crap, I did so bad that one time. And I think that's true for everything. Like we said, you're, oh, you're bad at math. Like you're going to be bad at math. And, you know, hitting kids with compliments on, and maybe even exaggerating a little bit on their ability or like, oh, an improvement. Oh, wait, oh, you are, you actually are really good at math. You, you improved your score by 20% this time around. You uh, have this ability is I think it's actually very key because as kids you know the ego is so fragile our psyche is so being built so much at that beginning stages uh that i it's crazy what just sticks with you um when it comes to that sort of stuff we didn't talk about this before and you may not want to talk about this at all mm-hmm. what about kids getting diagnosed with like adhd at a super young age oh my gosh this might be too hot topic for you i don't know i don't know what's i mean um, i think it 100 goes along with the the how long are kids being forced to sit in class every day you're they're getting diagnosed with adhd why it seems like a i mean i'm there's definitely kids that actually have adhd that it's it's very legit i think 90 plus percent are probably crap like it's not real. It's it's because they, they're being forced to sit for six hours a day, yet a kid is a, a ball of energy that wants to do everything. That, that every kid has ADHD. Who doesn't have who doesn't have ADHD? What's a greater marker for someone who's who should be an incredible learner than someone who can't focus on one topic for too for too long because they are interested in so many things? What what I feel like that's the greatest uh, marker for someone who is the a perfect self-teacher or, or autodidact self-learner is someone who can't focus on one thing because everything else, something else excites them uh, uh, at a, any given moment. And since we talked about how s- fragile it is, hey, little Johnny, you can't focus because you have ADHD. 
mm-hmm. how devastating is that to some little kid's psyche that, well, I'm just this way because I have, a, you know, a mental illness or, you know, I don't know what, if that's the right term. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, I'm a bad learner because I can't focus and. And I have to take these pills. Yeah. Yes. I think that has a tremendous negative impact. I bet if you just gave them the pill and didn't tell them anything about it, they would probably end up being a lot better in the future. Oh, yeah. There's no stats. I don't have any stats behind that. but I mean, placebo effect is a real thing. And and yeah, I think the whole ADHD thing could be almost a whole episode itself. It's just, to me, it's a matter of, well, we got to get these kids to calm down and sit in here quietly for six hours. I keep saying six hours. uh, School day is an eight-hour day, essentially. So eight hours. Well, you have recess and lunch if they still do recess. Yeah, uh, I don't count. But... I, I count it all together. Uh, uh, I got to get these kids to be quiet for the full day. So we're going to give them, you know, some medicine and they'll, well, and then they'll the other, focus. The other issue with that then is what? We prescribe way more than we need to just because. Well, it's a yep. problem. Let's prescribe. Um yeah, we could go. Yeah. We could have a whole other topic about all this, but yeah, I just was much... like curious what your thoughts were on it. Oh yeah, I think we could definitely go off on that. I think education is also something we could have other podcasts on. We could get some teachers on and really Hammer dig into what they think about. <laughs> I don't think teachers' job is easy. I think teachers. <laughs> I think teachers could be doing. Uh, I think a lot of teachers could be doing better uh, um, with their excitement for learning. I, I just think that this, but I do think that the incentive system is, is messed up to where teachers are have to are required and have to focus more on, you know, the behavior and management of kids. Yeah. Standardized testing and, but the management of the kids in the classroom rather than the inculcation of the love of learning. And I, I always think back my, my two favorite teachers, uh, the, I mean, shoot, I remember a few teachers, um, but my two favorite ones, the reason they were my favorite are not because they were so nice. Both of them were very nice, but it's because they were cool. They, they knew way more than was required of them. Um, Mrs. D in fifth grade was where you learned some his- history, uh, where you learned U.S. history. She loved U.S. history and she, she went so much further than she needed to. So it was really exciting and really cool, uh, uh, to learn history and it sort of, made me love it and then mr chitty in seventh grade loved science he was he he did more than was required of him i still remember the very first day of class he he did some i actually don't remember what the what it was but uh he did something with fire and uh that i thought at the time was just the coolest thing i was like wow okay he knows he knows stuff he actually knows science like uh this is exciting and and i think that's I think that's something that no one really talks about, that teachers who really care about their subject and, and uh, knowledge make for the best teachers. Well, I got to shout out some of my teachers then now. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, seventh grade, I had a history teacher, Mr. Birch. He was also my football coach, but he made history super cool. Like he he would he had like a uh, a radio and would turn on like battle theme music and would go over different wars that were like, you know, the, the 300 war and like, just had this, like, uh, it was just made it cool. Like the persona he'd have a, sl- all it was was a slideshow about history. And then when we got into the intense parts, he'd, you know, press play and this like really intense music comes on and you're like jacked up about this <laughs> war. Um, so like, that was super cool. Um, I had uh, another history teacher in high school, um, uh, Coach Ryan, another coach, of course, football and coaches uh, and history. He had like, it was actually cool. He had like discussion. We hardly had any papers. It was all like just discussion about different things. It was pretty cool. I like that. Um, even though he was super controversial. Um, we won't get into that. No. <laughs> and then two of my math teachers, uh, Mrs. Herndon, my geometry teacher, super enthusiastic, like super encouraging she actually would come in an hour early and stay an hour late and you could come in for tutoring I'm like hey i didn't get this in class so that was cool i didn't necessarily need it but i would go in just so i could skip football practice um and then mr hawk my calculus teacher he didn't really do anything super cool he was just super knowledgeable had like a swagger about him 
he seemed like a scientist that knew like you like you said you, you could just tell he knew more and had different like methods of like we did like whiteboard stuff like he'd put a stuff on a whiteboard or you'd like he'd, hey here's a problem what does this equal and you'd write it on the whiteboard and show it you know could be embarrassing to some students of like well i got the answer wrong but then when you get it wrong he'd like go up to you and like hey you know this is why you know walk through it with you so it the one-on-one -on -one opportunities that we had with teachers i think at least for me was very impactful mm -hmm. so it kind of goes to what we were talking about with throughout the episode oh yeah um any hot takes i don't have a hot take but i do have like something i wanted to say related to this whole topic uh it's just something i don't have the time to do and i've been thinking about it for a long time but i on this whole thing we talked about the one-on-one -on -one tutoring being the most important uh decider and outcomes and, and education and one of the uh groups of kids that has the worst outcomes in education are foster kids and it's a it's a, not a big a huge group of kids and i always thought there would be a really good place for like a nonprofit that could pay uh you know sort of intellectual people people who love learning pay them a good rate to just be a one-on-one -on -one tutor for foster kids and they have that they have some stability and you know could probably do a lot better in school than than what they are uh and i think it's relatively easy to set up and i think it would raise quite a bit of money it's just i don't have the time to do that uh, with between grad school and all the other stuff i do uh but yeah that's my not hot take but uh my mini call to action maybe someone someone will be inspired and hopefully if they listen this far could uh get the ball rolling on that well we'll put that on tiktok and <laughs> somebody will be inspired by that and say you know that is a good idea and hopefully yeah the three people that watch our tiktok so <laughs> my, my three all accounts. um i don't have anything else but um appreciate you guys listening if you listen this far you know tell everybody in the comments that keaton has great hair and We'll like that and respond to it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this has been Simply Technical. Thank you much for watching, and we'll catch you guys on the next one.